You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Autumn Van Overberg. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, March 13th, 2023. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Zero Rose sat down with Woody Bessler and Ann Hedden, both members of Center for Sustainable Living, or CSL, to talk about their efforts to promote renewable energy alternatives and ways to make solar power more affordable and accessible for low-income households. More in today's feature report. You could see the audience reaction to this show, just how impactful it was to them, which is what theater is, just telling the story. That's longtime local theater volunteer Isidore James Torrey talking about his passion for bringing characters to life to tell impactful stories. We'll hear more from him later in the show on a new episode of Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community. But first, your daily headlines. At the Monroe County Commissioner's Meeting on March 8th, Health Department Director Lori Kelly gave an update on COVID-19 rates in the community, and a new at-home flu and COVID test she shared will be available soon. So Monroe County COVID-19 community level remains low at this time. The COVID concentrations in wastewater are still decreasing. And I do have some exciting news to share about a new test Um, This was recently authorized by the FDA. It is the first combination test for uh, flu and coronavirus that can be performed at home. Um, It's not yet available, but we expect it soon. Um, It is a single test and um, it takes about 30 minutes to process and the results will show if a person is positive or negative for influenza A, influenza B and or COVID. Commissioner Penny Givens asked if the tests would be able to differentiate between the three viruses. Kelly said it can. Will it distinguish between the three different viruses? Uh, Yes. So from my understanding is it will, and it will show positive or negative for each of those. So you could, it would show if you are positive for example, influenza A and COVID um, or just one. During public comment, Sarah Gail Talla shared a noise complaint she has with the Porthole restaurant. She has struggled to receive assistance with enforcing the noise ordinance and asked if the commissioners could help. I'm going on 40 years. I've lived in the same house across the street from the Porthole Restaurant at Lake Lemon. I own Lake Lemon guest houses. I have six houses in the county, two in town. Two of my houses, four of my houses are right by the Porthole and two are guest houses. Um, the Porthole started having outdoor concerts because of COVID. After COVID, they continued having them. The noise was incredible, and I would ask them to turn the, turn the volume down. They never would. There were times when I was inside my house. I taught for the speech and hearing department, graduate studies here. Inside my house, the decimal level was damaging to my hearing. Um, I had hopes with the new people that they would talk to me, and they kind of shrugged me off sometimes, and I haven't had a chance to really talk to them, but I wanted to come to you first. When I had the problem before, I went to the zoning department. They said, go to the sheriff. The sheriff said, it's not our department. Go back to zoning. Zoning said, it's not our department. Try the attorney. I went to Dave Schilling. First, he was on vacation, and then he was back, and he goes, definitely, this is a problem. I will take care of it. 
Nothing ever happened. I finally filed a complaint. It went to the zoning department. They said, it's not us. So I went back to there yesterday, and they said, it's the sheriff. When I called the sheriff, he said, we don't know anything about this. But I have the noise control. The porthole is grandfathered in, in a neighborhood. I've had renters leave my business because of the sound. The sound is worse, but it's not just the sound. We have a drive there called Sailaway Lane that my houses are on behind the porthole. It's owned by the city. It's managed by Lake Lemon Conservancy District and the homeowners. They block the road. Last night it was blocked that a truck, a repair truck couldn't get back there. There was also several, almost several accidents. They could easily control this by having reservations or stopping. I went in on Saturday night when they were way over and people were standing wall to wall. The, amount of people in there was way beyond the capacity. The capacity is how many, if everybody in the parking lot is in there, that's the capacity. They were double parked all the way down our lane. They actually drove on their septic and did some damage. The, the noise ordinance says no noise 50 feet past the original spot, which it is never that way. It also says uh, after 10 o'clock silence. Um, they started having, uh, I don't want to complain, I want to be in good terms with them, but I want to get my rights known, so I wanted to come to you all first. It says... Um, you still have 30 seconds. Okay. It, it says, uh, you know, no noise after 10. Well, they're having music till 11 on Saturdays. The, the King Bee and the Stingers were turned up so high, I did a tape recording. I can't find my phone in my car. I did a tape recording from my front door. The front door opened because I usually have it open, but I still have a covered entryway, and, my, and it doesn't even face the porthole. And you should hear the sound. The sound of that was the sound that I would keep my record player on inside my house. Um, so the zoning department said it's up to the commissioners to tell the sheriff that he, they have to enforce this. But I know that there's only two sheriffs working after like 6 o'clock, and they could be on the opposite end of the county. But um, I didn't know if a letter could be written or what could be done. When they even stop the music at 10, that time. The, the okay. time has expired. There's another half hour of, of noise of people leaving it if they stop even at 10. Commissioner Julie Thomas asked County Attorney Jeff Cockrell to speak with her to see what can be done. Next, the commissioners heard from Director of Emergency Management, Jamie Niebel, who asked the commissioners to approve the purchase of a 12-month subscription to Salamander Technology to help their department keep track of their inventory. Um, so we're talking about assets like the uh, disaster tents. So those tents, we already do a sort of tracking with um, the fleet maintenance. So they do things for preventative maintenance standpoint, but we're looking at things like um, the parts and pieces that go along with those tents. So the tent itself has different pieces that go along with it, like there is a floor. There's also a generator that goes along with it. There's lights. There's... Uh, many different pieces that go with it. There's a trailer that goes with it as well. Um, whenever uh, different entities want to use that tent for their purposes, we have to make sure that we get those pieces and parts back. We also have to make sure that we have accountability for the people that take those and use them and whenever they come back. Right now we have a paper process that um, could always be a little bit improved. Um, whenever you have an electronic accountability system, it helps keep track of those things a little bit better. So um, it also will help us keep track of PPE in real time. So there will be an app on our phone where we 
could be out in the field and be able to look at those things. So, you know, if we're not in our office with access to those paper, paper process, we could look at those things in real time and be able to do those things right then and there instead of having to say, oh, you need, you know, a, a case of N95 masks. Well, hang on a second. Let me go back to my office and look at those things real quick, you know. So, and uh, we'll be able to possibly partner with the health department. I've had conversations this week with the health department in you know, helping with uh, those tracking their assets as well. It can also keep track of expiration dates in real time, so. The commissioners approved funding for the subscription unanimously. The next Monroe County Commissioners meeting will be held on March 15th. And now we join Zero Rose and his conversation with Woody Bessler and Ann Hayden on the inception and facets of the Center for Sustainable Living Solar Initiatives. And that's what SIREN is about. It's providing pre-public education on performance, benefits, and incentives of solar power and I guess also other renewable energy tech, we are leading up to what kind of evolved to reach low-income households, Indiana Solar for All. And Indiana Solar for All provides resources and training to enable low to moderate income homeowners to install solar systems on their homes. Founded in 2018, it's the first program of its kind in Indiana uh, with 24 participatory households through 2021 at least, expecting to produce 2,700 megawatt hours of clean electricity, preventing 4.8 million pounds of atmospheric pollutants while saving the families close to half a million dollars over the next 30 years. I believe it was Stephanie Kim was Stephanie Kimball, the inception person for Solar for All? Yes, she approached a solar installer and said, would you be willing to help me all this myself? Can I do this as a DIY project? And was that a, a, a federal uh, tax credit? That's Yes, that's the federal uh, energy uh, tax credit. So she approached this installer and asked, could I work with you to do this work myself when you you know, look over my shoulder and make sure that I'm doing it properly and to code and safely and so on. And, and her partner put solar on their home. And, you know, that was relatively straightforward for someone who had a little bit of technical experience or uh, familiarity with working with tools and uh, was willing to put in the time to learn the additional skills necessary. And she approached Siren and suggested that she thought that there was a possibility of doing a CSL project, the Center for Sustainable Living again. She wanted to start a project that was going to ordinary people, especially low-income families, put solar on their own homes as she had done. But she was also interested in trying to seek funding that would help pay the cost of it for the especially low-income families that would never even be able to afford the materials cost. 
a cohort of families apply to be in the program. Typically, you know, we'll get 20 or 30 applications. We're usually able to fund somewhere between six and 10 per year. You know, COVID has made that a little bit tighter. In the COVID years, we were doing a smaller number than that. But we average about seven per year across the years since 2018. And the materials are provided by funding that's raised outside of uh, the families and or the homeowners. And the Solarize program has been a significant part of that. We've gotten some grant funding. Uh, homeowners have put together fundraisers, uh, for example, that have helped raise funds to provide for the system's materials. Uh, it works out roughly that the materials for the standard system that we install are about 5000 cost about $5,000. If you had to buy that kind of system and have it professionally installed, it would be worth about $10,000. But over the course of 30 years, it's going to produce nearly $20,000 worth of electricity for that household. So it's a wonderful return on investment for the donors, as well as obviously those low-income families who generally pay more, uh, a higher percentage of their income for energy. And so it's also hits on the social uh, fairness uh, or social equity from that standpoint. And it, it doesn't do anything to tap into that uh, what is now a 26% federal income tax credit, because again, the families are usually so low income that they can't benefit from that tax credit. So this is addressing that issue uh, to, to allow them an opportunity to have solar. And uh, Anne, we'll pull you back in here. I, I noticed on the city's website for the Solarize program, the Solarize program is the city program. And they said they do not subsidize, you know, these these panels, but I guess they do do part of the funding. Is that right, Ann? The solar installer partners contribute a small amount of money on each contract to a fund that um, enables us to buy materials and to pay for the services of a, a contracting company in order to do the systems design in order to do whatever ancillary um, electrical work needs to be done. And so that fund is one of the main revenue streams going into um, Indiana Solar for All. And if I could go back just a moment to what Woody was just saying, um, it is clear what the benefits to the um, Solar for All homeowners are of receiving a system. And they are substantial, and that has been a very strong contributing cause to their being able to, first of all, regularize their expenses, and secondly, save money that they can use for other important purposes. But what I'd like to stress, too, is what the participants in the, Solarize, in the Indiana Solar for All program give back to the community because they're contributing their labor. And um, they contribute a minimum of 80 hours for their system participation, but many of them are contributing a whole lot more. They sort of get into it because it is a community thing. It's sort of like barn raising, you know, it's fun. People enjoy themselves. They form lasting friendships. So they keep on turning up at the installations. 
And so what the community is getting out of this is a reduction of the um, emissions load that basically is paid for by individuals in the community who are um, installing these donated materials and who are helping the city meet its targets for emission reductions that are codified into the Climate Action Plan. So the Climate Action Plan specifically has uh, a component in the energy and built environment sector, a component donated to continuing with the Solarize program and continuing with Solar for All and weatherization projects for our low-income households. And there is a target set for every year. It's highly aggressive target. And it's going to be more difficult going forward because the utilities have pulled the plug on net metering. However, in the environment post net metering, a DIY system makes ever more sense because by eliminating the labor cost, you are increasing the ROI. And I think one of the very important things that this program has demonstrated is that it's not rocket science. To, to install a solar system. One of our installer partners, Wilson Designs, that was instrumental in starting the Solar for All program, the president of Wholesun Designs, Ryan Zuricki, refers to solar installations as tinker toys for adults. Now, you do need a very smart person who knows their engineering, their electrical engineering, up front to do the system design. It's not something that everybody can do because it, it involves a real thorough knowledge of, of electricity and how things move in and off of the grid. But given that, um, it is really a demonstration that ordinary people can put up the solar systems safely. And um, this is, I think, an important thing for us to realize at this point in history, because the number of solar systems that would have to be installed to change the tide on climate action, on climate change, is immense. We don't have enough commercial companies to do that, though possibly if the tax credit gets extended, if there's an infusion of capital into renewable energy technologies starting at the federal level. And if a number of other planets align, then the growth of the solar industry will continue. Prior to the end of net metering, the number of solar jobs in Indiana was increasing rapidly and the growth rate was 12 times what it was for, for the average of other jobs in the state. So it provides a really good living and one would want to see that continue to happen with solar companies in general. But it's sort of like the introduction of the automobile. The people who, who introduced the technology were by and large tinkerers. They were bicycle shop owners. They were people who saw the um, possibility that the automobile represented for changing things in a good way for them. And they jumped into it, they experimented, and they learned how to do it themselves. With all of the things that we've been doing with Siren, with Solar for All, with the Monroe County Energy Challenge, with a lot of other things, 
that um, we've been involved in, we're planting seeds. We don't know what's ultimately going to grow from those seeds, but we know if you don't plant the seeds, nothing's going to grow. I think Solar for All has, has that to offer to the community, as well as benefiting the community by actually reducing emissions load. Up next, we have Activate, narratives from people making positive change, done in collaboration with the Bloomington Volunteer Network. In this episode, longtime community theater volunteer Isidore James Torrey talks about his passion for bringing characters to life to tell impactful stories. This segment is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org or by emailing getconnected at bloomington.in.gov. Welcome to Activate, featuring real people working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Hi, I'm Isidore James Torrey, also known as I James Torrey on stage. I've been in Bloomington for 22 years now, and I have a great passion for the arts, um, and I love to act and direct and do anything with theater. I started acting when I was in high school on a dare. Ended up getting a part, and the, my theater teacher, um, at the time the director of the, of the shows in high school, told me that she saw something and thought I could have a career. And I really just like the feeling of entertaining others and becoming somebody different on stage. The desire to make the audience see that person. Um, I didn't want people to see me on stage. I don't want people to see me on stage. Um, I want them to see a character, see that character that I'm portraying. I played a character named Jake Waters in a show called Harry and the Street Beat. Uh, Jake Waters was like a swindler, but Jake also had dealt with his own demons, his issues, um, such as alcohol and drugs. And I can remember a woman coming to me after a show one night, pulling me to the side saying, baby, do you really have a problem? Every time I think about that moment, that means that I played that character to the point where she was willing to help me out because she thought I was that character. Well, my first experience in theater here in Bloomington was with the Monroe County Civic Theater. I heard about an audition for Anthony and Cleopatra, which is Shakespeare, and I never thought I could do Shakespeare, but the Monroe County Civic Theater saw something different, and I got multiple parts in that show, and that kind of pushed me forward with my, my dream of being an actor. One of my first big shows in Bloomington that was uh, directed by James Mumford, One More River to Cross. This was a show about the African-American experience from slavery till about the 70s, maybe the 80s. You could see the audience reaction to this show, just how impactful it was to them. They were just really impacted by the story that was told, um, which is what theater is, just telling the story. I had acted in the uh, Bloomington Playwright Project's playoffs uh, for 10 years, and that 11th year, I started directing. I just wanted to direct to see if I could do it because I've had some really great directors in the past and I've liked their work, and so I wanted to see if I could do it, and 
nine years, ten years later, I'm still directing, and um, I've directed with the playoffs. I've directed two other shows uh, with the Civic Theater, and the, the Odd Couple, that was the first major show, I guess you could say, with a, with a name that I ever directed. What really meant a lot about the Odd Couple is I had a lot of support from friends that came and said, James, I know how to do staging, or I know how to do um, props. And they, they helped out. Opening night of The Odd Couple, I went to the cast and I told them, sometimes dreams come true that you never knew you dreamt. And that's exactly how I felt, because I didn't know I wanted to direct The Odd Couple until opening night. Sold out, I want to say, just about every show. I'm glad I did it. I think whether it's acting or a community center or any, any aspect of, of life in, in Bloomington, in, the, in this community, it's, um, there's a place to volunteer. And I think if you have a passion for it, there's a, a project or there's a place where you can exert that passion and people would welcome your, your volunteering, your help. Um, and if it's not just for the, the mere fact of helping others, for me, it gives me a sense of pride, a sense of, of, of purpose to volunteer and to make that difference and to change somebody's life. Well, this is Isidore James Torrey, a local actor, director, would love to uh, see you out there. Um, maybe we can volunteer, act together. So this is your chance. This is your shot. Go out there and get activated. You've been listening to Activate, true stories from friends and neighbors who stand up for what they believe in. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community with production support from students in the media school at Indiana University. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area online at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. That's bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhushki Snyder in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Zero Rose. Activate is produced by Chad Carruthers. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Autumn Van Overberg. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. 
been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending New Volunteer Orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 